0: Hi there, Pastor Austin Vondracek here. Thank you for joining us at Rosewood Church Online. My prayer for you is that this message by our guest pastor and friend will be used by God to bless, teach, and challenge you today. And whether you call Rosewood home and are catching up on a past message, or you're one of our many long-distance partners who tune in every week, would you consider giving back to support the ministries and missions of Rosewood Church? You can do so easily through our website, rosewoodchurch.org. And if you're listening and you're local to the West Michigan area, we would love to have you in person when the time is right for you. And again, I pray this blesses you and helps you grow in your love of Jesus Christ.
1: Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, I'm uh, Pastor Jim Goldschmetting. And uh, until October of 2018, I was a pastor here for 10 years. And it's uh, great to be back. I so appreciate the invitation and the opportunity to come and uh, worship with you again today. And uh, we will be working through Luke. Uh, I was given a passage and asked to speak on, but you're not going to hear about it until the very end of the sermon. So if we get to that point and you say, what, when are we going to get to Luke? Don't worry about it. We'll, we'll get there, I, I promise. For those of you who don't know me and who weren't here here when I was here, um, I want to just give a family update, if you don't mind, okay? Um, Let me think about it. We have four kids. Uh, Jenny and Courtney both live in Byron Center, and Jenny has three children, Courtney has two, um, and those are our two daughters, and uh, Jeremy is still in Texas, and he and Christine have uh, three children. Uh, our youngest grandchild was born in April in Texas, uh, Aubrey-Kate. Uh, we have eight grandchildren total. And then Sam and Molly are in Texas also. Uh, Sam uh, enlisted in the Army. They are right now stationed at Fort Hood in Killeen, Texas. Uh, and uh, we, we were just able to have a short trip to Texas to see Jeremy and Sam. But everyone is well. We are so blessed. Um, we are just so blessed. That, I just wanted to say that to you because I know for 10 years, uh, many of you prayed for us and uh, especially for Sue living with me. Uh, but uh, <laughs> you keep up praying on that one, all right? I, I want to just say one other thing, and that is um, I had never heard a statistic that, that Austin told me when he came, and we had a little bit of overlap there. Um, you know, we were able to go 41 years through ministry, and Austin told me, I still can't hardly believe it, Austin but that only 10% of people who go through seminary and go into the pastorate actually stay the course and retire. And so I, that still boggles my mind. But, you know, of course, God was gracious. Um, it, was a, it was a great ride. Uh, it was a challenging ride. God was gracious, and we're thankful for that. Uh, by the way, we love retirement. We really love retirement. Not having any problem being busy... Uh, Keeping busy. And God willing, three weeks from tomorrow, we'll be taking a trip to Israel. So we're really excited about that and looking forward to that. But I couldn't have done those uh, 41 years without Sue. I just want to say that. I better stop there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, thank you for your church, thank you for Rosewood. Thank you for Austin. Thank you, God, for every person who is seated here this morning and may be seated on their couch at home who is a part of this worship service with us. Lord, you are busy. You're in a very special, unique business that really only you can do. And as we turn to your word, we pray you will talk to us about that. Teach us about that. Encourage us with that. Remind us of that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I retired from uh, Rosewood, uh, about a year later, I was invited to come back and to uh, talk with you just a little bit about World Mission. Maybe you recall that. Uh, But I went to work for World Mission in uh, early 2019, and I'm still with World Mission. And our role our role at World Mission is we are totally targeting people who have never heard of Jesus in what's called the 1040 window in North Africa, Asia, and the Middle East, Middle East and Asia. And we are hard at work there. And I have a couple stories I want to tell you because the stories just abound. By the way, one that I'm really, I can't get excited enough about, and I'm so exa- uh, excited to be able to tell you this about it. Just about three weeks ago, we were able to be instrumental in helping 81 young girls, 81 from ages 11 to 20, all of them trained, educated, all virgins, all wonderful girls. We were able to to help move them from Afghanistan to Pakistan so they are safe today. They are safe today. And when we have the opportunity to do that, and that's not the first and only time, but when we do have the opportunity to do that, we tell them about Jesus. You know, that's the bottom line. We want them to know why we are doing what we are doing. Well, some time ago, a team of our people went to Kenya. And they were there to distribute water filters. They were there to, uh, to dedicate a well. And that team that was in Kenya... As they were dedicating the well, they had a very unique experience. And I want you to know these two stories because I think they're terrific illustrations of God's business and what I'm talking with you about this morning. This first story is about, in fact, I'm going to have you see a picture that I have sent along and, and asked to have uh, uh, there. This young man here is a Pokot warrior in the area of Kenya where our team went. There are two tribes there, the Pocot and the Turkana, who are killing each other. They are battling constantly for decades. And this young man is a Pocot warrior. And if you look at his body, you can see tattoos, you can see scars, you can see various signs on his body. And all of those are there to mark Tur- uh, Turkana warriors he killed. This is a battler. This is a warrior, a soldier for the Pocot. Well, one of our people on the ground there, her name is Liberty. She's our executive assistant. She took this picture, and then she wrote in her journal the story that I want to pass on to you. Liberty wrote, In the area where our team was ministering, two tribes were living, the Pocot and Turkana, who had been at war to the death with each other for decades. This young Pocot warrior came out to greet us when we went down to the valley to work on the drilling rig. The markings on his arms, as I mentioned, and chest signified that he had killed many Turkana people in his young life. After a little while, he warmed up to us, and after hiding his weapons somewhere in the bush and changing into some normal clothes, he tried to help us start our generator. I had been asking the Lord to direct our steps and show us who he would like us to give the treasure to. And by the way, uh, just in case you don't know what a treasure is, this is the treasure. It's a solar-powered MP3 player that we are able to put about 5,000 languages on. And so this guy was given a treasure with the scripture on it in his own language. Let me press on. Liberty said they also asked who to give the water filter to that they had brought. And toward the end of our time at the drill site, I asked our translator to help us facilitate a, con- facilitate a conversation with the warrior. He had him gather his family together to hear what we had to say. Surrounded by a small crowd of 13 eager, eager pocots of all ages, we shared the gospel with the warrior and demonstrated the water filter explaining the need for it. And she wrote here, they had been dipping their cup into the nastiest unfiltered water and drinking it while we were there. And she said, picture chocolate milk. That was water. By the end of our conversation, we challenged the warrior to make a decision to follow Jesus. And this was the first time he had ever heard the gospel. And we told him that we would be happy to pray with he and his family and listen to what he said. Listen to what he said. If there is a God who can purify me like this filter is purifying this water, I want to know him. I want to know him. And so they prayed with he and his entire family to receive Christ and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And they gave him a treasure and a water filter to share with his village and shared about a new church that had just been planted and encouraged them to attend that church to begin to learn more about Jesus and being a disciple, a follower of Jesus. There's one statement I like to frequently mention when I'm preaching, and it's this one, and maybe you recall a time or two when I said it, and it's up there for you. God is in the business of changing lives. God is in the business of changing lives. Now, here's one more story. It's about a woman in Afghanistan by the name of Elena. Elena her husband and three of her four children were killed, murdered in a brutal attack by the Taliban. And so Elena was so brokenhearted, she spiraled into deep depression, she became suicidal. And despite the attempts of our partners on the ground to love her and encourage her, she felt completely lost and hopeless and ready to give up. And in her despair, she went to a roof of a three-story building Intending to jump off there to kill herself and her fourth child who was still living. Unbeknownst to Elena, when she got up on that roof, there were a number of people who were living on that roof, a number of women who were living up on that roof who had gone there for the same reason. And as she met them, as people spoke with her, someone started to play a treasure. And coming through that treasure in her language, and she had never heard of Jesus before, in her language, Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. At that moment, when Elena heard the word of God in her own language, in such a reassuring word, her life was changed. Her life was changed. She was saved, she and her child, when she encountered Jesus for the very first time. Well, that's two stories, a vicious pocot warrior and a broken-hearted mom and widow by the name of Elena. Lives God changed. But are there other stories we can look at Where can we go to find other stories to support what I'm trying to say to you, that God is in the business of changing lives? Let's go to the Scripture. And let me just give you a few stories here that came to my mind as I was preparing. The first is Abraham. Abraham is the father of Judaism. He is the father, ultimately, of the Christian faith. We are introduced to him in Genesis 12 when we read this. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, it's a reasonable question. It's a reasonable question to ask why God chose Abraham to be the father of the nation that ultimately would bring forth the savior of the world, Jesus Christ. Abraham was a pagan. Abraham was like the Pocot warrior in Elena. He knew nothing about the God of the Bible. In fact, the uh, studies in the area there where he came from, he, he came from Ur of the Chaldees. And they, they worshiped the moon god and likely other gods. In fact, the introduction to the NIB study Bible says that his father, whose name was Terah, was an idolater. That's where they came from. He was an idolater. That's where Abraham came from. If God had come to me with Abraham's resume and said, hey, read through this. This is the guy I want to choose to be the father of my people. Read it through and let me know what you think. I would have glanced at it and said, God, go back to Zip Recruiter." There's got to be somebody better than this guy. But God, in his amazing grace, said, no, this is the guy, because God knew he could and would change his life. He could and would change his life. In fact, when you think of Abraham and what he used to be, and then you think of what was written in the New Testament by the apostle Peter, when he was speaking to Christians... He said, look, this is who you are. He said this, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession created created to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And to think that all began with God's choice to change a life of a man who was an absolute pagan into a man of faith. That's what happens when God changes a life. By the way, there is no life God can't change. There is no life God cannot change. And I'm glad God did, because Abraham, you and I are descendants of Abraham. And that means that this man who affected eternity, affected your life and your eternity and my life and my eternity. And God continues to work in the world with where he began with Abraham. And then there's Joseph. Joseph was young, arrogant, and favored by his father over his 11 brothers His father treated Joseph like he was his only child, and any amateur psychologist or experienced parent knows you never show favoritism to one child over others. It damages that child or children who were not favored. And as a result, Joseph's brothers hated him. They hated his guts, if I can say it that way. And it didn't help that Joseph had two dreams in which he saw his parents and his 11 brothers bowing down to him. And then they had the audacity to tell him about the dreams. Even his father said, what are you doing? What are you talking about, Joseph? And then his brothers said, that's it. So they sold him into slavery. We're going to get rid of this pain in the neck, and so we're going to sell him into slavery. And he ended up in Egypt. Well, If you you could read his entire story in Genesis 37 through 50, and it's a wonderful account of a man who was changed by God from a spoiled, self-centered, cocky, rude person into a man who became a faithful, humble, and effective servant of God. How did he do it? You know, I, I wish we could always tell really nice stories about how God changes lives, but many times, I think very often, God changes lives through adversity. He uses adversity, he uses crisis in people's lives. And for Joseph, there were two crises. The first was when he was sold into slavery in Egypt. Can you imagine how humbling that was? Go from this big shot down to this person who was first dropped into the dungeon, or first dropped into a well, a cistern and taken out to be sold. And then, once he was in Egypt, he really rose to a great position, a very respected position, and then his boss's wife wrongly, falsely accused him of trying to rape her. Well, when her husband came home and she told him, just like that, Joseph was in, the, in, in prison. He was in the dungeon. For a few years. Imagine what was happening there. God was using those times to turn him, to change him from who he used to be. I love that phrase, used to be. Abraham used to be a pagan. Joseph used to be a cocky kid and all of that sort of thing. But he changed him from what he used to be into a humble, faithful, not self-centered, young man and a significant ruler. Now, you are on to see the, the ultimate proof that this guy's life was changed? When their father died... Joseph's brother stood in front of him, terrified. He was going to take revenge on them and kill him for the fact that they sold him into slavery. Listen to what Joseph said Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. That's what happens when God changes a life. And then there's Moses. Moses was convinced he was worthless. Actually, if God had come to me and said, take a look at this resume, I'd have given him a a quick thumbs up because Moses had a great pedigree, very well-educated, very well trained as a warrior. But the man had made a huge mistake. He had given up on himself. But when God came to him and said, this is what I want you to do, this is what I'm calling you to do, Moses said, nope, find somebody else. But God said, I can change this life. He set out to change his life. And Moses, as you know the story from the book of Exodus, became an incredibly powerful leader. At first, he was so timid. He was so broken because he was convinced he was a mistake because he had made a mistake. But little by I've just been reading it again this week. Hey, anybody still reading through the Bible in a year? Then guess what? You just read it too, didn't you? You just read about the story of Moses where when, when they first start, Aaron is his mouthpiece. Moses didn't say a word. And then, little by little, through the plagues, Aaron just kind of fades away. And Moses is in the face of Pharaoh. You better let us go. You better let us go. He gets angry with Pharaoh. He storms away from Pharaoh. That's because God changed Moses' life. What about King David? Oh, adulterous King David. What about that guy? And we must not forget Rahab, Rahab the harlot, remember her? Who was famous for her courageous faith in enabling the Israelites to conquer the city of Jericho in Joshua 2. But here's God. Rather than discard David the adulterer and replace him with another king, God forgave him and changed him. And in spite of David's grievous sin, he is considered the greatest king in Israel's history. Acts thirteen twenty two says God called him a man after my own heart. And Jesus was a direct descendant of David. Matthew one verse one says he is called the son of David. And Rahab, Rahab the harlot, Matthew one verse five says she was in Jesus' gene- genealogy. He is a descendant of of an adulterer and a prostitute. But it's because God changed her life. It's because God changed her life and made her a brand new person. Well, how about a quick look at the the New Testament? And in a few minutes, we'll get to this guy, Levi, who is also called Matthew. Matthew. Consider the life-changing work, life work of Jesus in the life of a woman in John chapter 4. She could have been a descendant of Rahab. Because when Jesus met her at the well outside the town, he knew she had had five husbands and the man she was living with at that time was not her husband. But Jesus, pouring out the grace and mercy and kindness of God on this woman, changed her life. And if you read the story in John 4, and I hope that you will, you see where this woman, whose life was changed, immediately went back into her town and told all the townspeople, hey, I've met this guy. Told her story. And the whole town came out and met Jesus and heard him speak. And as a result of this one changed life, an entire town was turned upside down when, after meeting and hearing Jesus, they said to her, we, don't no long, we no longer believe in him because of what you said. We've experienced him. We believe in him for ourselves. And don't overlook the toughest nut to crack of all, a legalistic, hard-headed, hard-hearted, mean-spirited man who was a terrorist to Jesus' followers. Of course, I'm talking about Saul who became Paul. He was a Pharisee from the city of Tarsus. And according to Acts chapter 9, Saul was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, that is to Jesus' followers, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem to torture them, Perhaps to murder them. And then a miracle happened. Acts chapter 9 goes on to describe how Jesus personally confronted Saul. And when he did, he didn't just change his name from Saul to Paul, he changed his life. In fact, he totally upended this guy's life. And after his encounter with Jesus, Paul became a devoted follower of Jesus no longer addicted to the law, using the law as a reason and a basis to go after the followers of Jesus. Suddenly, he understood the law and its perspective, intended to bring people to Jesus. But the song we just sang, Lindsay mentioned the scripture. This is the new Paul, the changed Paul. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. And I myself no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now have within this body, in the flesh, is a result of my trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You want to talk about a changed life? The one who once was terrorizing Christians became the most successful missionary in the history of the church. He wrote half the New Testament. He gave his life for the cause of Christ And to see lives changed. Now what about this guy named Levi? This is what we read in Luke 5, 27 through 31. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi, also known as Matthew, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, Levi rose and followed Jesus. Jesus. And Levi made Jesus a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician. Those who know God (laughs) have no need of a physician. They've already been made well. But those who are sick, that is, those who are the farthest from Jesus and his fathers. What about this Levi? Tax collectors were notoriously corrupt. Notoriously corrupt. Their business was ripping people off. They charged extra. They collected more taxes than what they were supposed to, and they pocketed the money. Tax collectors were filthy rich because they were filthy rotten, is what they were. This is Levi. And so as far as people who were being scammed by these tax collectors, including Levi, tax collectors were the scum of the earth. No other way to say it. They were the scum of the earth. But the Lord Jesus came to carry out the Father's business of changing the lives of people like Levi. He also did it to Zacchaeus. I believe there are three things that show the validity and the truth of a changed life in this guy, Levi. The first is this. He prepared a great feast we just wrote, and he invited Jesus to his home to eat with him. And folks, this wasn't just shrimp on the barbie for the two to enjoy with a glass of wine. Because the scripture also says that Levi invited all his equally corrupt tax-collecting buddies to join them. Why? because he had extra meat. One reason and one reason only. So he could introduce them to the one who had transformed his life. And I can't help but wonder, how many of those tax collectors who were there that day said yes to Jesus themselves that day or sometime after that realized they needed the Jesus that Matthew had introduced them to? He right away gave it away the life that he, he had been given. Second, Levi laid his life on the line when from that day on, he was devoted to being unashamedly identified as one of Jesus' disciples. More, and in the end, it's believed it did cost him his life. Although traditions disagree on how and where Matthew died, most scholars believe, see which one of these you would pick, Okay. Most scholars believe Matthew was martyred when he was beheaded, stoned, burned, or stabbed. But he was okay with that. Because Jesus had changed his life. And the third reason I believe this was such a genuine change is because he's the likely author of the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel very obviously aimed at reaching a Jewish audience. If you read the Gospels, you will notice that in Matthew, there are more references to Old Testament prophecies and Old Testament scriptures than any of the other three. And that is because Matthew wanted desperately for the Hebrews, for the Jews, for the Israelites to know their Messiah had come. And so he would say that, and then he'd say, by the way, take a look at what was written here in Isaiah. Take a look at what was written here in the the Psalms. Take a look at what was written here, so that he could... Bring them to this one who is in the life-changing business. That's Levi. I hope I covered that enough, Austin. (laughs) Otherwise, I can talk longer. I mean, these people know I can talk longer. So let's review. A pokot warrior, a broken-hearted widow... Abraham, Joseph, Moses, David, Rahab, the woman at the well, Christian-hating Paul, and the tax collector, Levi. God's business is changing lives. It always has been. Why else would he send his son? And it always will be, including today. Perhaps you have a beloved family member or dear friend who does not know Jesus. Perhaps that person is hard-hearted like Paul or as corrupt as Levi. Perhaps like Joseph, he or she is successful and arrogant and sees no need for God in his or her life. Perhaps it's someone who walked away from Christ and his church and is living a godless life and it breaks your heart. Maybe a relative, maybe a dear friend, who knows who it may be. If you haven't already done so, Pray passionately for our merciful, gracious God to change that person's life. He is in the life-changing business. Don't forget that. And if you used to pray for him or her, but in despair you gave up, by all means, get back at it confident our God can change any life. And one last word. Perhaps today you know the life that needs God's transforming hand is your own. But you think you aren't worthy of his love and forgiveness. You think because of mistakes you have made, you are a mistake. When the truth is, a mistake or two or three or more does not make you one. And if this is describing you, I urge you, with my heart, with all my heart, to get on your knees before God today. Don't wait another day. Get on your knees today and ask him to forgive you of your sins. Ask him to come into your heart to direct your life from this day on. Ask him to do with your life whatever he chooses to do. Change it however he wishes
0: to make you the person he wants you to be. God, you are in the business of changing lives and the way in which you change us is through your Holy Spirit, God. Your Holy Spirit lives within us when we make a faith commitment. Your Holy Spirit calls us to you to make that commitment. And so God, this changed life comes through your Spirit and here at this table, These elements, these simple everyday objects, are given new meaning. They're physical reminders of the invisible reality within us. A picture of the invisible promise. That you are always with us, and God, as long as we are willing and open and obedient, you are changing us. You're molding us like clay on the potter's wheel. You are crafting us into the people that you have called us to be. And that is both as individuals, but also as a community. God, we don't celebrate alone. We celebrate in a community. And so God, as you change the lives of us as individuals, God, we pray that you also transform the lives of of this church, of this community, of of your body here at Rosewood Church. And one of the ways in which you really change us is through the gift of confession. God, we can, uh, through your son, approach you at any time to pray. And God, we in this moment, we pray for our own forgiveness. Remind us of the promises that are already ours. That you forgive us of that which we've done and that which we neglect to do. And so God, purify our hearts in this time. Before we take communion, before we celebrate in this holy space, God, purify us. Remind us of our identity as your child, an identity that we cannot earn, but is given to us. So thank you for that grace that makes this this meal, this celebration possible. And God, call us to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for making Rosewood a part of your day. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord.